Hello and welcome to the No Holds Barred Witchcraft podcast, sponsored by Little Chef. <laughs> Chris, on the road to hell, was you aware that there is a Little Chef? I, I remember there being places to stop and eat. I don't remember it being a Little Chef. There is a Little Chef where you're guaranteed to pick up two friends on your way to hell, Sam and Ella. <laughs> Twat. I'll leave it at that. So, um, today we're talking all about MySpace, right? Because I've got a space. And oh, it's messy. You, of course, have a space. And we all have a space that we like to set up <laughs> for our magic and the like. So, uh, if you're uh, lucky, then uh, Chris might invo- invite you over to see his space and then you can make the magic happen. Isn't that right, Chris? <laughs> You're a knob. You're just a knob. Is that not right? Does any magic happen in your space? <laughs> Lots of magic happens in my space. So it ain't a Wiccan space then? No. What I understand of the Wiccan space is they consecrate it and then that's it. <laughs> they just go home. Or no, they have their cakes and <laughs> ale, don't they? Cakes and ale. And explain to each other where they bought their velour from. Yeah, so if you didn't... Obviously... If you didn't get it and don't understand, my space equals sacred spaces, magical working spaces. <laughs> so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about sacred space. Hashtag sacred space, Chris, yeah? So, um, Hashtag <laughs> what would your understanding of what sacred space is? Because I think there's such a thing as sacred space and there's such a thing as a sacred space. And I I say that those two things are, are different, if I'm honest. But I'm interested yeah. in your opinions of yeah. things. Well, I would say a sacred place is somewhere that remains sacred at all times. So it's a permanent space that is however magically inclined it may be. So that can be anything from, you know, you'll get these wish trees in the middle of a forest where all those Wiccans like to tie bits of plastic ribbon. Um, but what and things like that, sacred? that would be... What makes it sacred? Is it the more ribbons that's tied to the tree, the more sacred it is? I think it's all about the intention, Liam. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about the intention. Of course it is, Chris. That's where I'm going wrong. It's all about the intention, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, like that lady poison says, it's all about the intention. (laughs) Right, okay. So sacred spaces for a magical work then, for magical workings, what's that sort of a sacred space then? So sacred space, as in not a sacred space, but sacred space, uh, would be referring to any space created for a magical working that is temporary. Okay, so what is the purpose? That would be the difference for me. What's the purpose of creating a sacred space? Because you don't need it's to create stuff. sacred space in order to have cakes and ale, do you? You don't, now. You could just go to a pub. You could. Um, That's sacred no, in itself, so the... the pub. 
It is for a Brit, yeah. The um, no. So the 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 reason we talk about it is more a case of what you've discussed before, which is creating the right environment. I think is the word you normally use. Um, and has a, a hospitable environment for whatever you are inviting in, or if you are creating a space in order to flood a space with a particular kind of energy. So that would be creating an environment. Um, obviously, the reason those Wiccans like to cast their circles um, is about is about sacred space. I'm just not sure they actually understand what that actually means. So when you're creating a space in order to hold a working, you are creating a boundary first and foremost. So obviously we would say that a magical circle is just a pictorial representation of the aura. But essentially what I'm talking about is sacred space. So just drawing a circle um, and calling the corners does not necessarily make a sacred space. So it's about having a space that you can work a particular kind of magic in. So that sacred space might change every time. It might just be your set of boundaries that you set up whenever you work with any particular kind of energy. Um, it's about creating a space in which you can work. Would you agree? So uh, I'm thinking in terms of if you're talking about that Wiccan idea of casting a circle and calling in the elements. That's what I call basically attention seeking on multiple levels because <laughs> not only is it attention seeking from the fact you've got to wear your crushed belt and say oh look at me I'm holding a ritual I'm doing some magic it's also sacred um sacred space casting in the form of like what the Wiccans do it's also attention seeking because you're not set bringing in energies are you because the energies are already there the elements are already there what you're actually saying is, <laughs> hey, look at me, pay me attention. You're calling upon the air and or the wind and the water and the like. All that stuff's already there, Chris. So really what you're doing is you're <laughs> saying, I'm a Wiccan and you're not paying enough attention to me. So come a bit yeah. closer. I want to feel you're there. Yeah. So it's kind of <laughs> like if you've got like a crowd of people and they're all milling about doing their everyday things because the wind's got stuff to do, Chris. You know, the wind has got things busy. to do. It's got things to blow. Busy. It's busy. Wind is a very busy thing, right? And yet, it's not going to pay you a lot of attention unless there's a, something going on, right? So what they say is they yep. say, hey, look at me. Or in Wiccan speak, that's, I call to the quarter of the wind. Come, come the wind, come to me. And that. And then you just get a... <laughs> because it's a bunch of neo-pagans and I have noticed that there is an awful lot of neo-pagans out there that have got flatulence problems for an unhealthy diet but we should do a <laughs> podcast all about that in fact I think that there is one on the list isn't there all to do with that um, I think so I think you know so. that my it's body is a temple how many people do you want to fit in your temple <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, that might be a Patreon-only one. <laughs> <laughs> so, to cut a long story short, 
the creation of sacred space is really creating an environment and an ecosystem, the correct environment for the thing you want to manifest, to do some work in that. Is not, I suppose, in some respects, some people would refer to it as almost like your desktop, either on your computer or your actual desktop. You're cleaning it away and then you're starting to do some work, right? When actually, it's more, I think, about the boundaries, right? And it's more about, okay, we're, we're keeping a, a containment on this energy and then we're filling it up with a very specific type of energy that's relevant to what we're doing. So it's a lot yeah. more like jars that I like to keep and collect. I put different things in the jars, right? And those jars are full of different things. You know, if I want to catch a fish, this is the secrets of evocation. So pay attention, listeners. If I want to <laughs> get a fish, fishes are not comfortable out of water. Okay, so you need to get them with the net and then you need to put them in the water. Right, so they still survive. Okay. So they stay on land. They can stay on land if they're in a little bucket of water or something. But it's got to be the right sort of okay. water. Okay? That's the problem. So that's have I got to do this go, in the bath? That's where people go wrong. Like if it's saltwater fish, you can't put that in fresh water because it dies. They don't understand the nuances that are there, Chris. So you are calling in a spirit <laughs> that don't belong here. It's not belonging here. Some spirits belong here. Others don't. But if you're calling on a spirit that don't belong here, it's going to struggle to manifest and the like. So you need to create a nice little ecosystem, which is your sacred space that's filled with that salt water. There's a salt water fish, salt water spirit, whatever. And then that way it's easier for things to manifest. You'll see this in lots of rituals and the like. You'll see that a lot of people go to great lengths to call upon and bring in spirits that are very, very far away. And I'm not talking distance. I'm talking magical geographics on a multi-dimensional level. Because there's a spirits <laughs> and the like that's local. What we call local spirits, Chris. Yeah, not the one from the park down the road. And not the ones from the drink cabinet. We're talking like things that are of this current physical universe they're close by element yeah elementals and things and then there's things that are a little bit further outside of that like the fae a little bit further outside different universe technically but close enough and similar enough for them to kind of do some troublemaking and mischief making here um and then there's things that are really really far away like transplutonian type things <laughs> that are very much outside of the scope of what's currently in this world. And then you see the dangers with trying to call upon things like this. You see a lot of people in the left-hand path, Chris, that try to deal with this sort of crap, don't you? They get a really wrong go insane. Definitely. Is that you need to think, if you're pulling another place, and that place is uh, very opposed to where we currently are, if that place is like mass cancelling mass, if that place is a bigger denser thing and you will pull it in and you're successful poof goes the universe we're in it's quite dangerous <laughs> if it's a little less dense then it can start to you know flood in and that which does cause problems in itself it's kind of like when you put a magnet next to your phone and that it goes all crazy um you know like like that but if you establish a boundary and you make a proper boundary, not one of these crappy little boundaries that the beginners use. Like a proper solid boundary. We could go into that later. Um, 
that will stop the impact, stop that thing that you're pulling in, whether it's a spirit or another place, will open up a doorway to the underworld or something and let that energy flood through. You're creating a little barrier. It's kind of a no man's land, isn't it? Your sacred space is somewhere between yep. the physical world and somewhere between the world where that spirit you are calling resides or just that world that you're trying to pull in. So I like to get the beginners to do planetary ones. So to evoke, you can call upon planetary spirits and the like. You could call Jupiter or you could call Zeus. Or you could open a direct and evoke and pull in the energy from that planetary energy itself. So not sentience, just open the floodgates to the Jupiterian realm, say, and allow that to flood in. And the good thing about that is not only is it conducive to do in Jupiterian type work but also because the energies are flooding around you you get to pick up these energies I think don't you Chris you get to learn what they feel like and that and then when you see them in the future going about your business and you say I see that and I know what that is because it's Jupiterian because I've experienced that before it's like a not scratch tested it's more of an immersive experience you know like when you take babies swimming for the first time and you have to dunk their heads in the water I know that because I did lifeguard and that's a legitimate thing, right? You do that. You have to... Drowning you know, babies. You put the little floats in the babies, like their, I don't know, swimming costume things, with these little floats in, and then you start taking each float out one at a time, and then you splash a little bit of water on his face. Not all in the same, you know, swimming lesson, but obviously, like, over the weeks and months splash a little water so it gets comfortable with a bit of water in his face and then you take and you dunk it under um and then eventually you start to put the armbands on when it can move about when it's like a toddler and that um little kid and then you start to slowly deflate the armbands which basically means you don't blow them up all as much each time to the point where you've got these deflated armbands and then you say to the kid because the kid they don't want to take the armbands off Chris they want to leave them on it's like bloody weaning people off of uh, rattles and that they don't want to take it off so you just say I'm sorry kid there's a puncture that's why it ain't inflating so you know you can put them on but they ain't getting blown up and eventually they dispense with it so there we go that's how you teach children to swim 101 lesson but they ain't got much to do with sacred space or has it oh <laughs> oh read between the lines as they say you do some talking there chris <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to take a breath. So, but no, it's it's one of it's one of those things that should be one of the first things that are taught when you're starting out on a path like this. Um, but it's often not. You know, they talk about doing their protections, or they talk about cleansing, but they don't talk about creating sacred space. And actually understanding what that actually means, which is a, a combination the first two I've already said. And then obviously bringing in whatever you're wanting to bring into that space. And what I don't think people can give enough consideration to is, like you say, is, is that environment that you want to access, what you want to pull through, is, is that able to come through? And actually, is the reason your spell's not working properly? Um or you're not experiencing what you're supposed to be experiencing is because actually you've not created um, a harmonious space that can actually come in. Um, 
and I think I don't think people think about it, particularly those psychics, because I suppose this this extends out to them too. When they why they're so scared of things like Ouija boards and pendulums is often because they don't have an understanding of what what that is. Uh, like you know what what about you know oh well, it, well I've opened a portal into absolutely never neverland, and you're kind of like well one have you got the actual understanding enough to be able to open such a portal or if is it actually going to be you know arranged by the other side because i think that's what most people would fail to understand when it comes to those is are you opening a portal up or actually if you all just accidentally allowed something that was local that happened to thought oh that looks like a new place to play with um, let's just, they've opened a small hole, let's just make it a little bit bigger. Um, and it's one of those things that often comes out when you realise that they've then, you know, left it open for several weeks, even though they did the closing down ritual. Um, I just realised no one else can see me doing the bunny ears. I suddenly, <laughs> I suddenly realised there's only you that's actually can see me. Yeah, we're on the um, podcast, Chris, that's just audio. On the podcast. Yeah. Just audio. Yeah. So the um so yeah, the, the what was I saying? Something about Ouija boards. Oh yeah. And and then, you know, people find out they then have they've made a connection that's, you know, tormenting them weeks later is because they haven't actually thought about what they're doing before they're doing it and actually how they create and manage because that's the big part of it. You know, it's all well and good you creating like you know uh, sacred space but you need to be able to close that shit down when you're done doing what you're supposed to be doing and actually that kind of opening and closing part of creating any kind of space like that um is the most important bit and you should have actually learned that as part of your basic training um i would hope all good teachers would i'm not convinced that all they do um, I think partly it's one of those things that the Cunningham books, etc., get don't seem to cover. Um, it's kind of assumed with a lot of these books that you understand something so basic. I think that's why so many people have trouble with cleansings and things like that is because the concepts never explain to them. They assume that you use the word cleansing or protection and you understand what those words mean. Um, Whereas actually, I don't think a lot of beginners even consider it because they can't see it or they can't necessarily hear it. Therefore, you know, they're just saying words and drawing circles on the ground. Like, you know, there isn't a, an actual understanding of what that means to create space. Um, and I'm sure we'll come back to that in a sec. I do want to kind of jump back over to um, say sacred places well, i was gonna say it um, is dangerous like you say opening up a doorway to neverman's just ask macaulay corkin <laughs> talk about a doorway being opened and a hole getting bigger <laughs> wow liam wow we're not even on the patreon yet for you to say shit like no that. and just imagine listeners that don't subscribe to the patreon what a laugh the Thoth Witchcraft Patreon actually is. <laughs> and that really you should pay the three or four quid or however much it is. It's not very expensive. It's about the price of a magazine. Yeah. You should buy a subscription. 
And come and listen to uh, Liam's potty mouth. So, so yeah, I, I was kind of going to jump over a little bit again to sacred, pla you know, sacred places. Maybe that's the definition of the split you make between sacred spaces, creating a sacred space, um, and kind of sacred places. And by that, I don't mean necessarily, um, you know, what we were talking about before with a tree or a temple or whatever. That is any kind of permanent space. So if you have a, if you have an altar at home, that is a permanent sacred space. So, you know, you may still kind of switch it on and off, as in when you allow it to be active, but it is a permanent space. Why are you sniggering to yourself? Because, 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 because you know now we've messed, we've uh, talked about Michael Jackson and Macaulay Culkin. That means that that's now relevant to this podcast, which means for the YouTube thumbnail, I can use that Macaulay Culkin face oh, <laughs> and put a God. witch's hat on him. <laughs> okay, you you have fun with that. Um, so yeah, so talking about sacred places and spaces in that in that that kind of context is that considering those uh, any altar that space that you create unless there is an active on off switch that you have a protocol for opening that space it works very much similar uh, in the terms of the the Ouija boards that I was just talking about before is that unless you have a proper way of activating a kind of the on off switch part then you're obviously going to still be dealing with the after effects of opening a space up like that. Um, and obviously maintaining that portal open close is a big part of your kind of housekeeping um, that should kind of be occurring if you are using altar spaces. Um, this is also the reason why you should always be careful about what, <laughs> what deities you are mixing about on an altar space so you know if you're particularly when you've got certain kind of neo-pagan groups and where they start to mix pantheons uh you know and they'll pick i don't know osiris and then and then mix here mix her him up with hecate or something like that and you kind of like that those two are a nice mix they both deal with the same sorts of currents so you know that would work if you then swapped Hecate out for Aphrodite um, or something like that, you're then starting to go, okay, do the two, are the two coherent? Do they actually understand each other? Are they going to be okay with sharing a sacred space? Because just because you've consecrated two separate, um, you know, pieces of what are they made of now? resin from uh, nemesis now does not suddenly mean that you have a safe space within each of the the idols they are creating an open space as part of an altar setup so this is where i kind of struggle with some of the um kind of neo-pagan and wiccan ideas where they'll kind of swap in and out um deities throughout the year so you kind of like they'll celebrate different kind different arrangements throughout the year. What they never create a space that is designed for that. I don't think they ever consider what that actually looks like. It's fine when you have a kind of polarities arrangement with a, a masculine and a feminine representation, as long as that fits the entire year. 
as how those two interact interact um, as the seasons change. You know, I don't think when they're selecting again, I did the bunny ears again, um, selecting these couples that are not actually couples, that they actually consider what those combinations mean in in real terms. Uh, you know, how does that flow through a year? Um, and how would the two interact if they were people, you know, and kind of personifying them and breaking them down into, OK, well, if these two people were cohabiting on a space, how does that work? Um, and you get a lot of these kind of, um, you know, eclectic insta-witches that all talk about kind of, you know, uh, these are my, my patron deities um, and that sort of thing. And they're arranging where actually, you know, think of that altar space as if it was a sacred grove uh, or a temple. The, everything in that space should have um, the energies and what was that phrase you used earlier about environment, Liam? The environment and the habitat and the like. If a spirit is from a place that's its habitat, the energy's there. I know when you were talking about that and those people and the neo-pagans and that, that mix about all the spirits and the pantheons and stuff. I just had visions of um, Lilith trying to convince Hestia while she's reading a Mills and Boone book to come at, to the local strip club with her. To watch the <laughs> yeah. local uh, group of male strippers and Hestia's not up for it. She just wants a quiet night yeah. in beside the fire. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's just... It's it's about bringing that environment in. If you are hoping that a pay and this is the thing, and they then wonder why they don't get their petitions answered, um, because they don't think about the foods that they might want, or the you know, it's one of those things that you either go down the and I know I'm going off on a tangent, Liam, but I'm on a bit of a rant, as you can tell. The um you know when it comes to offering and sacrifice. So when it comes to sacrifice, that is about what is relative to you. When you are talking about offering, you are talking about what's relevant to the deity you are working with. So, you know, it might be that actually Santa Muerte doesn't fancy cigars this week um, and you haven't actually considered what is the right offering to be giving at that particular time of year or um, or that particular moment what kind of work you've been doing with her is very different to you going okay I've got these Cubans I've only got three left and actually that is a great sacrifice to give over um, to a deity that you know would appreciate tobacco she likes um, Werther's originals Werther's originals well it reminds her of all the old ladies and men that she reaped Oh, okay. I was thinking, how does she, how does she suck on them? Is what I was thinking. I don't think she does. Do they I not think, get? I think she get stuck in her teeth. Them in with a handful of Werther's originals, and the old biddies that come too uh... close, and then all of a sudden, with a scythe, is. <laughs> That's how I okay. do it. I like. You know, okay. someone's getting old when they're carrying around Werther's originals in their handbag. Okay. Especially if I'm, it's a bloke. I'm with you on that. <laughs> okay was there anything of use any golden nuggets that you wanted to push further from what i just said or were you just enjoying the rant 
I enjoy the rant. I do enjoy your rants. But going back to what you said quite a lot earlier in regards to the the books and that telling you about sacred space because there's, there's a lot of them that make a big issue about it. And th- this is the thing that I think people miss. Either the book makes too big an issue about sacred space or it just don't cover it at all. So the people that don't cover it at all, what they miss the readers and that they might you know they might miss out okay I need to pull in some energy to make something happen okay to make an ecosystem particularly when it comes to evocation this is quite important with some spirits um but the other ones that make too big a deal out of it then people think well you don't need to make sacred space in order to make the magic happen which is true you don't because they're not miss they're missing completely the concept of you create sacred space to hold energies like a vessel for holding a certain energy now we both work in the rooms that we're both currently sat in actually and they retain energy and stuff like that if you go out and did some work in the forest you know that kind of stuff's probably going to dissipate quicker but it might leave a little bit of a mark or a stain on the land for a little while if you don't wash it clean and the like so really what you're talking about is, are you needing, if I want to pick up some water, it helps to get a glass to go and pick that water up so that it retains and keeps that energy all in one place. Also, it stops that water, if it's not water, if it's something like red wine, it stops that from a going all over the floor because it's contained within that vessel. So in terms of the stain in the carpet, stain in the land and stain in various things, you can create a vessel boundary to stop that energy from working, you know, pushing out. Really, you need to understand the energies that you're working with in order to decide whether you need or whether it's a good idea to create sacred space. Because... I don't create sacred space. I'm happy to just pull in energies and then I'll get rid of them and scrub them out afterwards if I need to. A lot of the time I don't even know do that. As you know, it just builds up to like get rid of it with me uh, with me weekly cleaning. But there we go. I think that's it for this week's edition of the podcast. So, I suppose it's just over to... Uh, talking to our patron saints now because i think we need a, a name <laughs> for these people because all, all of the people like when they get a following and like like jesus he's got his christians lady gaga's got her monsters i'm thinking we got our patron patreon saints it's funny because they're the complete opposite to saints because they don't do goodly things <laughs> normally <laughs> especially not that little delphi Oh my gosh, we've done two podcasts this week and every single time we do another podcast she's gone and done something even naughtier than before. Terrible. <laughs> I might have to have words with her. I'm starting to worry if there's going to be any poor sods left around the area in which she's a living because she seems to be causing all sorts of despair to some <laughs> poor gentleman around that area. But there we go. Oh. Enough said about that. So now we're on the Patreon. What do you want to expand on? We can go into a little bit more detail or, or do some more bitching and get away with it. <laughs> a bit of both, really. I think the word the word that you used again that I asked for when I... But you forgot was ecosystem. Ecosystem. That was the word you kept using. Yeah. I like that word. I think it's a really good way of explaining what 
what we mean when we're talking about, you know, hospitable spaces. Um, but yeah, it's more a case of, yeah, I think more about what we what we do personally, I guess, is where we should start, which is not a lot of making space. Um, what we tend to do is I will, and it's a bad phrase, but I if I feel the need to, which is very rare, um, I will throw up an instant grid. Um, which is more like a Metatron's cube, I imagine. But for me, it's what uh, the best I can describe it as as a grid. Um, that if you are, you know, needing to shield up a space while you entertain uh, a new guest, or if you um, need to have a space to resist the fact you have just spotted energies you don't want to be mixing with, um, is it's a mixture of kind of shield meets it's personal sacred space um which is kind of just like my pop-up tent wherever i happen to be um i suppose the the big difference for us is the only kind of sacred spaces i suppose that we really create on purpose are ones that we do at session so you know if we're going to um to do a show or a um or a a pop-up whatchamacallit event psychic um, fairs events and, uh, and public rituals for that's for safety often isn't it? as well yeah so you know making sure whatever does happen to arrive it's also so that they can experience it like with the altar of the dead that we carry around with us all the time um that is a pop-up space that's allowed everything in that setup um is there made and uh, collected specifically for, um, you know, people's access to their ancestors. Um, obviously, we then use, a, as part of that, we use a guardian spirit in order to allow that to be a safe space rather than having to maintain it ourselves because we're not keeping eyes on it. We kind of set it up, allow people to mingle with it um, in and out, and then they're allowed to, you know, take away or bring in whatever they want to bring in or take away so with that it's it's different isn't it where actually we're not holding the sacred space we're asking a third party to hold that space for us um to allow people that don't practice or people that have practiced but um don't don't do the same kind of work in their own practice um which is a very different to you know, um, what we were talking about before, which is creating a sacred space yourself um, and making sure that hospitable ecosystem is there and available. Obviously, for us, it's in that moment, it's kind of we're letting out the uh, the responsibility part to, to a third party, um, which I suppose is, is a different kind of setup that some people might use. It sounds a bit more like the kind of ceremonial magician part um, if they were to go to some of the rather than what they tend to practice um, is what that concept is supposed to be about is that kind of, you know, command, not just holding space themselves, um, but commanding other spirits um, or coercing other spirits in order to continue to hold that space. You know, all those lines with the archangels and uh, other other greater spirits being um, kind of brought in 
as multiple layers of either protection or imprisonment. Yeah, so <laughs> the more advanced you get, I think, within magic, and the more different types of approaches you take, and the more different types of projects you work on, then you'll see a big difference because at the very beginnings you get things like evocation, that's outside, invocation, that's inside, you know, pulling in something or energy into yourself as opposed to being around the general area or outside of yourself. But then obviously before long it's both at the same time yeah. and stuff like that. And that's when the lines kind of blur and that's when having a conversation with a beginner, that's what they struggle with because they understand the basic concepts of, oh, evocation, I'm pulling a spirit in and it's going to be in the room somewhere, probably a shadowy figure in front of me or something. Invocation, oh, it's going to possess me. Oh, okay. But then what about close quarters? So what you've got is you've got, you are holding the essence of that spirit within your auric field. So it's not really in you is not really in the room. It's like almost skin touch. And the reasons why you do that is constrainment. Or, much like carrying a child on your back, you give her a piggyback, right? Because it's not strong enough to manifest in the room and you don't exactly want to merge with it. So you're essentially keeping that morphic field, the um, energetic field, your aura, essentially, made up of your energetic bodies, you're able to carry that energy on it. So it's not all the, all inside and it's not all outside. It's kind of a blurry line between evocation and evocation, which you don't hear that much about. And then you really, the problem is when it comes to ceremonial magic, like you said, Chris, is that a lot of that is protection heavy and often quite fake. It's uh, the grimoires try and trick you into calling upon spirits that you don't understand, have no dealings with, in order to force themselves here to protect you in your little magic circle. When in reality, what you're actually being tricked into doing is what I just described about having energies be carried on your energetic field. So your aura, you're pulling those things into your aura. And that can be dangerous because although technically... If you're strong enough, you would control your aura. You would control and constrain those those uh, energies, much like you might wrestle someone that starts on you down at the pub and grab hold of them and put them in a headlock. That's essentially what you should be able to do with a spirit that enters into your auric field. However, if you're a little weaselly wimp and you're a scaredy cat and you haven't got much experience with the close quarters, then... You've got your little grimoire and you've called in all of these spirits and one happens to show up or even worse, four of them happen to show up or even worse, four aspects of one thing shows up <laughs> <laughs> and then um, and then it takes over, takes over. Not very smart, not very smart because they misunderstood the concept of how that works. Because you could take something like the Lesser Key of Solomon and you could do all of the things that are prescribed in the book. Not that they're right, of course, because it's all bollocks translations and 
co-opted shit. But you could do word for word and letter for letter all of the things that's in the book. But you could have two or three different magicians that are doing that in a different way. And I don't mean doing it as in the physical things. They're doing the physical things the same. They're still a drawing the things on the floor. They're still a saying the magic words and the like. But actually the energies and how they're utilising them yeah. is all very different. Which, of course, you'll learn on the evocation courses that are coming out. Which you're <laughs> going to have to learn all of this stuff for which was free. Because otherwise you'll be fucked, won't they, Chris? Super duper fucked. Yeah, we'll be getting those late night calls again from people. Not the heavy breathing <laughs> ones. The ones where buyers, Liam, Chris, I've done something and it won't go away. It won't go away. Come and make <laughs> it go away. And then the line just goes dead. <laughs> um but yeah it's just it's it's one of those things that i don't think is covered well enough in the material that's out there um but it's also one of those things that is hard to teach uh, not making excuses for them liam but i'm just kind of like in the sense of you know depending on what your ability level is and by that i mean you know, if you're not able to see and sense energy, but you can smell it or um, or something, then obviously that is going to be different. Your experience is going to be different when you are doing these things. So it is harder if you don't have um, your psychic ability up to a, a reasonable level to then understand how um, when something is is arriving one is it the thing you called for and two um are you at risk can you handle it so you know reading about them is never going to prepare you for actually meeting some of these spirits um but at the same time if you can't actually experience them so you're not you don't you know your senses won't allow you to experience them then obviously you're going to be able to, you, you know, you can't necessarily jump straight into evocation or invocation without freshening up some of those skills. Um, so you either got to write the manual <laughs> from evocation and invocation before you even get to creating sacred space, um, depending on um, the level at which the, someone is teaching, you know, is learning. So I, I don't know. I think it's one of those that is it is it not there because it's hard to teach or is it just not there because, you know, they didn't read their Agrippa the right many times in order to actually before they wrote the book. Like, you know, like what I mean, what what are your feels about it? Is it is it a mistake or is it actually designed that way? I've met many practitioners that have been practicing for over 30 years and I don't consider them to even master the 101 stuff yeah. they've read a lot they've done a little bit of experimenting but the magical practice in the modern age is in a dire state it really is some of the most basic things people are completely incapable of doing every now and then you meet someone that's a really good you know you met the, meet the older debt and you meet the people that are doing some serious magical work, like our friend Lady Poison. But a lot of the time, it's unbelievable how terrible 
the state of magical knowledge and ability is and I think that it is because of the methodology of teaching there's a reason why I don't like books and go on and on and on about students to if you spent 20 hours reading a book you need to spend 21 hours practicing what that book taught you what yeah. it was teaching you practice 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 makes perfect because guess what you're trying to cheat and it's not your fault it's because of the schooling system that we have in the west you read stuff you memorize it you regurgitate within magic it's all about the creativity and using the energy as if it is another ligament an extension of yourself and you do that through doing so all of these things like sacred space you didn't need to be taught in a book about sacred space back in the day. Back during the old mystery schools thousands of years ago. Because you would walk into it and you would experience it and you would instantly know, oh, as soon as your psychic ability is up to a certain standard, you can see the boundaries, you can see yeah. the energy, you can elaborate, you can think, Oh, wait a minute. Okay, so this energy that's here is being constrained. It's stuck here because of these boundaries here. I can see them and I can feel them. And guess what? I know how they're made because I watched the old magician. Just do it. You know, all of these things, experiential things. The, the theory and the methodology doesn't come from you reading that in a book. It didn't used to anyway. It does now. A lot of the times it does now. But you never used to. It, it, it came from you developing a certain little bit of an ability to see, sense, feel and manipulate energy. And then you going out there and exploring different energies and seeing other ways of working. Because when you can see and sense energy, right, you can go and watch any magical practitioner works. It doesn't matter what tradition they're from. It doesn't matter what magical practice they've got or what type of witch they are right doesn't matter you watch it you watch what they do on an energetic level you learn the energies that they're working with and then you'll instantly know the secrets of how that fucking magical system works right you don't need to be taught you don't need to be taught what offering to make you don't need to be taught what that fucking weird little sigil means on the floor it's not necessary it doesn't mean anything now there's a lot of people perpetuating the myth that it's a, like a science and a chemistry and all of these little things have got to be in place for the magic to happen. And yeah. yes, they do. But guess what? That book is not telling you how to do that. That book is tricking you into telling you or tricking you into thinking that it has the answer by giving a very simple, often prescribed ritual that a magician or someone's worked out that should work for the vast majority of people and then you do it and the ritual might work what is missing from all these books is how does it work and why does it work what's the technology how does the metaphysical technology work that's what's missing and uh, you know it all is we try to cover it in our stuff but at the end of the day some stuff we put out there, some stuff we don't. Because at the end of the day, we know that one-to-one, -one, or even sometimes in small groups, but one-to-one -one generally, guiding someone, they come on threefold more 
than someone reading a thousand books. And I've met people that have read a hundred books on all of the serious occultism. And I've also met people that I've spent a week with one of us. And they've gone further than that person that spent ten years really trying to read and understand those a hundred occult books. Because they have a theoretical knowledge and they don't fucking know what they're doing. It's all theory. Um, it's like they said in that, uh, oh, what was it? It's that, um, series. Doctor Strange and Mr. Norrell. Have you watched that? One of our patrons said to watch it. I watched it. It's really good. They have the idea of the theoretical magician. And okay. obviously what we'd call an armchair magician. So the person that theorizes. And then there's practical magicians, which is the people that practice. And neither of them like each other. Because the theoretical magicians are kind of like people that form these secret societies. And it's kind of like a quirky thing where it's the you know, elite lords and ladies and that of the realm and they meet up and they have these kind of little meetings and it's just really a dinner. Like being in the Masons, basically. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the practical magicians. Yeah. Then you've got the practical magicians that are doing the work and they think, well, all these theoretical magicians, they're just reading books and having wine and, and tea and talking about how brilliant they are. And then the practical magicians are out doing actual magic. And the like, it's quite, it's quite a good, good series. I quite enjoyed it. Um, but then I like that sort of thing. But I don't know. We're going to go off on a tangent now, so you better swoop in and save the day, Chris. Well, the thing was, I was trying, to, I was trying to find a bit, what the best way to kind of point out what we're trying to get at. And I suppose from the Western point of view, your best, your best understanding of what you have experienced. So if you were you know, uh, a, a thousand years or so ago, a little bit more than that. If you if you're of part of a, lo you know, there were shared local customs, shared local festivals. And I don't mean just picnic in the park with with some local bands. I'm talking about actually people coming together, sharing food that they had grown or they, they had, per, you know, had, had brought, everyone would bring their craft that they work with and they would celebrate a change in the season, you know? So it would be, and then at that in that situation, at some point you would have been brought into a sacred space that allowed you to experience whatever deity they were calling upon in order to actually fulfill that part of the sacred duty that married up with the with the day-to-day -day doing so you know that that is the close that that is what you would have experienced all the time which means as you left the safety of your home to go into the city or and then you entered this the sacred spaces which were obviously often normally outside of the city um but you know you would go out to this space in a sacred grove and you would feel the energy of that space the presence of whatever deity was maintained there um you know this would be part of your you know from when you were little to you as a grown adult that you would experience all the time whereas in in the west the best we get is going to a carol service at a local parish church like you know you walk into that space and you can feel the energy of it because the the everyone is vibing in the same place um, you know, with the carols and the, and, the, and the music and the priest. And in that kind of moment is probably the closest you'll get 
to seeing a watered down version of what one of these great festivals would have been is is kind of going into a small like i'm saying it would have to be a small local parish church for you to really experience that because what the what the catholic church in particular did and obviously other churches do it too is uh, but particularly the catholics is to overwhelm you with awe is the way they make up for the lack of power shall we say that they aren't able to raise that energy so they make it up with pretty bobbles so you know um big tapestries big stained glass windows they're creating that space with with architecture with look with appearance that made you feel small and part of a much bigger thing by the the presence of being in that space so you never needed to do that you would have gone out into a grove uh, where the deity was regularly uh, spending time and you would have had a great spirit, you know, a great spirit speaker, um, a priest or a, a priesthood of people would have shared their knowledge with you. And that diff that is the difference, is that because you're kind of not wanting the locals to know what's going on in a church, the church is there is designed to put all that energy in the only person that can speak to God directly one to one would obviously be the Pope. But the obviously, you know, the watered down version of that is that that um, that vicar or the uh, priest or the father or whatever they call themselves, depending on the denomination, uh, is they're having that. They are the focal point for it. And you are you are befuzzled and amazed and in awe of the space in which you were in um and for me that's that's the kind of that's the difference and i think that's why we are not used to when you read a book and talk about sacred space you're kind of going oh, for some of these people the best and closest they could get to a an actual sacred space would be a football stadium because that would give giving you a much more space, a much more concentrated understanding of community um, and in, inspiration like it should be. Does, does that make sense or have I ranted off again? Yeah. No, I've given uh, people homework that are doing the psychic development thing. When we start to push beyond the tarot cards and beyond the trying to gaze into the future and like and more about energy within the area, particularly when they're trying to work on increasing their sensitivity to being able to see and pick up on spirits and the like that are around in general um, and I get them to compare and contrast energetically charged spaces which would you would call it sacred space if it's religion or magic but there are energetically charged spaces so you say a football stadium or a rock concert you go in you feel the palpable energy this there now I like to get people to list them and then they can list, you know, emotions and other things that they pick up on there and where the emanation or if there is a current, is it coming? Is it whooshing from the stage or is it going from the audience to the stage or what's going? Is it going up? Is it going down? do not matter. And then what I do, which is where the real breakthrough tends to come, as I say, go to somewhere where there's no people that you still feel the energy like that. 
and they'll go and they'll normally pick up on the same sorts of things. It might be somewhere like there are monstrosities have occurred. Auschwitz is the perfect example if people have gone there. You can feel it palpable in the air, gets in your throat, it's thick, you know, um, the energy. But there isn't, there isn't, you know, if you're there, you're on your own, you know. It's not like there's lots of people there. A concert, everyone's raising that energy. It, the um, church, everyone's raising that energy. They're doing the hallelujah thing and all that. Whereas if you go to a forest and there's a patch of forest and there's an energy that just stays in that area and that forest, it's got the same trees throughout the whole forest. There's only one little patch in that forest. Might be, a you know, an acre or it might be a couple of meters square or something like that. But it's there is there and then you try and understand why and pick up on why and sense that you know what's going on there and then start doing your magical experiments and then you'll get an idea when you start to be able to pick up on sacred space magically charged places and things and then you start to build that kind of like we talk about that palette sensing of energy and the being able to label it and then you'll start on the manipulation and then when it's when you've got the ability to sense and have a kind of dictionary or database of energies and then when you develop the ability to interact with those energies then creating sacred space is easy because all you're doing is pulling that energy in and confining it constraining it to a specific area or thing you know because space is an area but you can put energy in objects, of course, you know, or in people or pull it into yourself or, you know, all sorts of things or push it away, banishing. It's all basically the same mechanisms. It's just how you're using the magical abilities that you have in order to do something, you know. Um, but in terms of it's logical, it's always logical, you know, it might not be logical how it works. But it's logical as to the methods that you're using. Your magical methodology should be based on logic. You know, okay, we're going to be holding a dumb supper. We want spirits of the dead to come to the dumb supper. There's going to be humans to come into the dumb supper that are mundanes and don't have any magical experience. We need to create an environment that heightens psychic ability. We need to stop all of these things are leaking out and disrupting the other members, particularly if you're doing it in a hotel like we do. Don't want to uh, upset the guests in room 101 or whatever, whichever one the dead baby's in the wall. Um, <laughs> shout out to the dead baby in the hotel Talbot. <laughs> um, you know, because it's, it's logical. You need to create the energy and make the right sort of thing for the spirits of the dead to manifest easily. Throw open that doorway to let them flood through. And maintain a safe working environment for both the dead and the living. Because the living can cause all sorts of devastation to the dead. You know, which the paranormal investigators don't quite understand. They're always going on about, oh yeah, the dead, they're haunting me, they're doing this, they're doing that. When actually... I feel more sorry for the dead. Let them rest <laughs> in fucking peace. Bloody hell. But okay, there was another little rant. I think I'm quite good with me rants today. So, um, we only got about a minute or two left. So what do you want to finish on? Um, just a roundup, really. I've kind of, you know, the hope is that f we have covered during this, um, the differences between, you know, sacred space and sacred 
places, space places, um, and whether or not you have an understanding of where, you know, maybe you do a bit of what Liam's just talked about, if he hasn't already set it you as homework, um, of kind of realising <laughs> what those spaces look like um, and what kind of spaces you actually experience, what spaces do you create, um, you know, how often do you feel the need to create sacred space? Like me and Liam both said, it's not something we do very often, other than to create it for other people. Now, you know, warding and all those sorts of things are other parts of the, the, the spell kit um, that you should, you know, the spell tool belt that you, you should have and are used in different ways. The question is whether or not do you need to create space every time that you do work? Probably not. But it might start to give you an idea of when should you be expelling that energy in order to do something like creating space? Because again, that is more energy that's got to be used up during that space. You've then got to close it off afterwards, therefore requiring even more energy. So the question is, do, you know, does whatever spell you're doing require a special ecosystem environment? Or um, are you capable of doing it without having to need to create that sacred space? Just all, you know, recapping and, and throwing in some food for thought. Yeah, so that's it. We're out of time today. The only thing that I will finish on, because we haven't said this for a while, and I know there's quite a few new patrons now that might not be aware of this, but we do encourage you to message us and give us a subject that you might want us to cover on one of the podcasts. If you can't think of a subject but you can think of an awesome title for a podcast episode, then send that in and we'll just make something up that's based on, you know, we'll just use your podcast title as inspiration. So uh, either way, just message us your ideas and give us some feedback as to what you like, what you don't like. Because at the end of the day, we're perfectly willing to try and tailor what we do and the content we put out according to what you will you lot like so um that's it for this week's edition and uh, get on with all of your homework those that have got homework <laughs> bye